It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the inspired team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, your host and financial advisor, along with my fellow financial advisors, Kevin Corhorn and Joshua Gregory. Yeah, thanks for spending the hour with us. We have students gearing up to head back to school, and there are some big changes about to take effect on how parents apply for college financial aid. And today we're going to be joined by Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College to help explain how these important changes to FAFSA, hopefully I said that right, (laughs) uh, will affect you. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to say Andrea and FAFSA at the same time. I'm going to butcher both of those. I've had butterflies all morning, actually. (laughs) You can do it. Okay. Hey, so folks, this is your show. If you have a comment or a question, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Go and visit us at wisemoneyradio.com. That's a revamped website and more aesthetically pleasing to the eyes. I like it, but go there, check it out. Uh, You can listen to past episodes there. Leave a question right there as well. If you're driving, don't get online. Call us, 574-222-2000. That's what Doug did this past weekend after listening to the show about refinancing and left a question for us. We're going to be answering that later in the program. So as Josh said, we are joined by special guest, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College to help us break down some of the FAFSA changes. I'm two for two there that are coming soon. (laughs) Andrea is the Assistant Vice President of Traditional Enrollment at Bethel College right here in Mishawaka. And if her voice sounds familiar, she joined us on the show almost a year ago, last fall, talking about financial aid and all of that. So, Andrea, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here again. Yeah, so it's great to have you with us. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself, give us your background and all of that. Yeah, um, I have been working in higher education for over 20 years now, uh, primarily in the the role of the admission office, um, but have taken on financial aid in the past couple of years. So, uh, I, I do feel like I bring some experience and uh, hopefully some wisdom and insight for your listeners today. Yeah, great. And how long have you been with Bethel College? Uh, I have been, uh, this is my second stint at Bethel. I've been back for four years, uh, but had been there nine years previously. Oh my goodness. uh, So lots of tenure. We love Bethel. They're, of course, a sponsor on the program and partner with us here. And we've got a lot of great alumnus who are on the team. Josh Gregory is one of them. That's right. So... Okay, so we're going to be discussing the FAFSA and financial aid today. It may be obvious, but can you help us understand how important financial aid is to college education and for paying for college today, for today's student? Yeah, it is at the the core of, of how students provide for their educational experience. The National Center for Education Statistics um, reports that 85% of students attending a four-year institution, a four-year private institution, are utilizing uh, financial aid in some way. And that's up from 83% in 2008-2009. Uh, uh, the College Board also reports that 65% of students enrolled at two-year and four-year institutions are accessing financial aid in some, some form or yeah. another. 
Yeah, it, I, I was actually looking for stats. My stats are lower than yours. I would trust yours. I found a study from earlier than that, and it said 71% were using some form of financial aid, either scholarship grant or federal loan. Mm-hmm. But your numbers say, I, actually, I was surprised that what I found was only 71. 85 seems much yeah. more realistic. It, it's interesting when you look at the research because everybody parses it out in different ways. So if you uh, look at four-year public institutions, the National Center for um, edu- education statistics says that 83% are using aid when it gets to the the private sector, 89%. So it depends on if they're counting two-year institutions into that mix, yeah. degree-granting institutions. So everyone needs to know about the FAFSA and these changes. Everyone needs to know about it. So before we get too far into the weeds, though, let's remind everyone of the different types of financial aid available to today's college students and families. There's a few different types. It can be confusing. So let's break those down real quick. Well, I I think the one that most people think of initially is merit-based financial aid. This is the one that we all kind of dream of, that some school out there is going to throw money at our son or daughter for being really awesome in school or a great athlete or something like that. Um, But, you know, not everybody qualifies, uh, and it depends on which school you're applying for and what kind of talents your your kids have. I think just most people are counting on this type of financial aid, though, when they're doing their planning, hoping that maybe it will bail them out for not planning soon enough. Good point. Oh, my my kid will just get scholarships. That'll solve our problem. Sure. But, um, you know, in addition to being based on merit or their talents, that kind of thing, there's also financial aid that's based on uh, need, right? Right. Uh, So looking at your finances and saying, hey, there are certain resources out there in Uh, the community, certain scholarships, or even government agencies that will make money available if you meet certain financial criterion. Right. And uh, this this one's harder for a lot of people to be able to to qualify for. Uh, But my understanding, Andrea, is that uh, even student loans would fall into this category. You have to qualify to be able to get student loans, right? Correct. Um, Most students will qualify for one form of a loan or another. You have to have an extremely high level of um, what's called an expected family contribution to not qualify for loans. Okay. Doesn't it seem crazy that that a loan is considered aid? It just, I always think financial aid is scholarship or something like that. And a loan just doesn't quite fit that. Feels like handcuffs, right? So Andrea, I'm thinking about the statistics you shared and and it's in the low 80s for public school and high 80s for private school. Right. So is the price that it costs to attend a school, is it kind of like the, the sticker price on a car where you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go on the lot and look at the price, but I would never pay that. And there's, there's a way to somehow pay less. And so I, what I'm wondering is if, if I were sending my child off to school, which I will be in two years, mm-hmm. do I look at the price and say, well, that's, that's not what I should pay. I should pay something less and I get that through the financial aid office, or how, how, should, how do you approach that? Yeah, so um, we look at an overall cost of attendance for a student. So that's what the, the foundation of a financial aid package is. And so a family never wants to look at sticker price. Uh, we as institutions talk about what's called a discount rate. So how many cents on the dollar are we discounting or writing off a, a student's uh, what what they owe, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. what is their net going to be. Um, 
we as institutions don't really barter or bargain that number down. So that would be different than going to an, an auto dealership where you can mm-hmm. kind of finagle that number down. Uh, we have set policies, set procedures that we abide by uh, that hopefully will benefit the greatest number of students at our institutions. And it, it's really institution specific because it depends on the financial resources available to each individual institution as to how much they're going to discount a, a student's um, aid or discount their sticker price. Right, right. You know, this was a, a big eye-opener to me. I've uh, sat in on enough board meetings at Bethel College and and hearing about this concept of discount rates, the difference between the ticket price and what people actually pay. Mm-hmm. And when you do a true apples for apples comparison on what you actually pay uh, at one school versus another, a lot of times schools that seem just in totally different ballparks on the, the price range, suddenly start getting a lot closer to equal. I was surprised that Bethel ended up being cheaper than a lot of even uh, neighboring state schools and, and whatnot. So right. uh, that discount rate that you're bringing up, Kevin, that's an important deal. And it's one of the reasons why there's so much homework that goes into getting ready for college, sending your students off to school, and this whole issue of financial aid is so timely right now. So what's what's the role of the FAFSA in all of this? Yeah. Why, why do you need it? Yeah, so the, the FAFSA is what um, provides kind of an apples-to-apples comparison for every institution. So uh, families report income and asset information through the FAFSA. The federal government takes that information and runs it through their federal formula to come up with what is called an expected family contribution or an EFC. So you'll hear us as institutions talking about EFC all the time. We then take a cost of attendance um, for an individual student and we subtract out that expected family contribution to come up with a student's overall financial need. Mm -hmm. And it is that need that then we start to, to try to fill as much of that as possible. And so federal loans, uh, state grants, need-based grants, scholarships, all contribute to filling that gap. So it's an extremely important tool, the FAFSA. And you'd think if they're making big changes to it, everyone would know. And we're going to be talking about those changes here. Coming did up, did you get that last one right? Absolutely, I, I, I think did. You said FAFSA. <laughs> More on how to pronounce <laughs> FAFSA here when we come back here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm here with Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for sponsoring the Wise Money show. And today, also in the studio with us, we're fortunate to be joined by special guest, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College to help explain these huge changes happening to FAFSA, that acronym that I cannot pronounce. If you have a question, comment, or are confused about anything, we want to help you. Give us a call, 574-222-2000, or go to wisemoneyradio.com. Every time you scowl at me, Josh, I feel like I need to stop talking. <laughs> what did I do this time? This is my concentration phase oh. here. It's it's not anger. All right. Nothing but love for you, Mike. Thank you. So, But you do need to share what FAFSA 
stands for, right? Yes, I mean, we need to break that that whole acronym. All down. words are now hard to pronounce because of this. So that acronym actually stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid, which is easier to say than FAFSA. God gave me these really big lips. It's hard for me to pronounce something. So there we go. We're talking about some of these really big changes that are taking place. But before we get there, Andrea, I want to pick your brain about just some tips, some helpful tips as someone is filling out that FAFSA form. Mm -hmm. What should they know? Yeah, my number one recommendation is for students to keep their options open and apply to um, as many institutions as, as possible. Don't just pick your number one and say that's the only institution you're going to send the FAFSA to. Uh, send it to more than Unless one. Unless that's Bethel, right? Unless it's Bethel, of course. <laughs> right, of course. Of course. Um, and meet your state deadline. If you miss the state deadline, you miss out on state financial aid. There, It's a, a one-shot deal. Uh, federal government aid, you can go beyond the state deadline to qualify for that. So how would someone know what their state deadline is? Well, let me tell you. Great. <laughs> uh, in Michigan, it is March 1st. Okay. And in the state of Indiana, it is March 10th. Some schools will um, bump up that deadline for institution-specific dollars, so you also need to check with your institutions. But Michigan, again, is March 1st. Indiana is March 10th. Every state has a different deadline. So here we go, guys. So that's the deadline, but it opens for you to submit your FAFSA at a particular time. And some of the aid is first come, first serve. So we're typically telling folks, get it in, get it done as soon as possible. Huge changes were announced in 2015, something not confusing at all. They're calling it the prior, prior year. That would Mm -hmm. never confuse anyone, Mm -hmm. right? No, these are huge changes to the deadlines and the timing of when you can complete the FAFSA. Andrea, explain the prior, prior year rule that comes into effect right now. Right. So the the two big changes this year, uh, the timing of the opening of the FAFSA, it used to be January 1st. It is now October 1st. So October 1st, 2016, the FAFSA will open and families can start completing that for the 2017-2018 academic year. Did you hear that, folks? It starts in just a couple of months, a month and a half, you can start filling out your FAFSA. So in other words, your student is starting their senior year in high school and, you know, a a month or two into school, they're already starting the application process for next year's college start, right? Their freshman year. Correct. Makes sense. I mean, to me, it's logical. It Mm -hmm. creates some challenges for the institution, right? But you got to change some of your processes. But to me, that's logical. And the importance for for getting that done early Mm -hmm. is is to qualify for as much aid as possible. Now, the reality for institutions, Mike has hit on this, that um, we have processes, procedures in place, states have deadlines, uh, so the the state won't be telling us as institutions any earlier what you qualify for. Um, They won't back up their deadline Uh. to October. So it's up to each each institution as to whether or not they're going to start sending out aid packages earlier. Um, And depending on the size of the institution, they may or may not be able to be flexible. We at Bethel can be a little more flexible um, because we don't have as many students as a large state institution. So um, filling it out in October does not guarantee that you're going to get an aid package before March, Um, but you at least have that process done earlier. So how would Bethel, you know, you said that you can be flexible in Mm -hmm. the timing and everything. 
are, are you in a position where you can just tell them what the school is able to do with financial aid and then it's still kind of a wait and see on whether or not you qualify for mm-hmm. um, something from the state, a grant or, or something like that? So some institutions are going to be uh, putting out estimated financial aid packages. So based on what happened last year, here's what we believe you're going to receive from the state. And so they'll put an estimated amount on an aid package. That's what we're going to be doing at Bethel. Um, trying to get as much information into the hands of students as early as possible, but knowing that it's an estimate. And um, we, we, have, we still look. Um, every file gets reviewed. It's not an automated process at Bethel. Eyes are actually on a financial aid package. None of it is auto-calculated. Oh, um, so institutions that have to auto-calculate, there are huge systems, things mm-hmm. that they have to, oh, yeah. to work with that will make it a challenge for them. But some of these, you know, state grants and things like that, that you might have to wait and see, mm-hmm. are they based enough on formula that these estimated financial aid packages that you're referring to should be reasonably accurate? I mean, mm-hmm. w- would a family want to make a decision on which school they're going to go to based on an estimated package? I think estimated packages are um, a good thing for a family. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. So you mentioned two changes, mm-hmm. and uh, but you've only brought up the first one. Correct. Okay. So what's the second? The second is what you referred to as prior prior year. So essentially, uh, the tax information that is being used to complete the FAFSA, that's what is changing. So when completing the FAFSA for the 2017-2018 academic year, families will be using the 2015 tax information. Under the old system, they would have used 2016 tax info, and they wouldn't have that complete yet. Yeah, which is which is the crazy rush. You guys know we have a CPA firm as well and serve a lot of families in the community with preparing their taxes. And there was this mad rush to try and get your taxes done as soon as possible so you could fill out your FAFSA in first come, first serve, and so on. Now it's the prior, prior year. Correct. So you're technically using your 2015 tax information for the 2017-18 school year. Right. So you're using your 2015 tax information for now two two, two years in a row, right? Two years in a row, that's right. So if you you happen to sell a business or you had a really high income and then lost your job or something like that, you could find yourself at the short end of a long stay. That is a But that's where you need to talk to the institutions because we have uh, what is called the ability to do a professional judgment for a family. There are rules around that that the feds put in place but we have the ability to make adjustments for job loss and for some of those things. So if that happens, uh, let let your institution know. Got so if 2015 was a unique year. Correct. You need to be talking to the financial aid Correct. folks. All right. Correct. Hey, I want to sneak this in here because this is the, the FAFSA. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's okay, folks. Uh, okay, so that's all about trying to get some federal aid and so on. But last time you were on the show... You shared a couple of websites uh, for to try and get some merit-based scholarship, and I've shared these websites with a lot of my clients. Can you share those with us again? Yes, uh, fastweb.com and finaid.org are two that have been around for a very long time and are very repu- reputable. Uh, collegeboard.com is another one that okay. students could use. Capex, which is C-A-P-P-E-X.com, um, and then Chegg. C-H-E-G-G dot com are some of the newer ones uh, that are out there that families can use. 
Okay. Do any of these tools give a family the ability to kind of forecast what their financial aid might look like? You know, um, knowing maybe a couple years in advance based on certain assumptions, are we ever going to qualify for any of this need-based aid or mm-hmm. are, are tools like that available yeah. out there? So every institution is required by the federal government to have a net price calculator on their website. Uh, some schools have invested dollars and have more robust net price calculators. Others are using what the government provides, and that's always two years behind. Um, but you can go to any institution's website and use their net price calculator. The uh, FAFSA, they have a tool um, that allows you to forecast what your, your FAFSA information would be. It's, it's a, an aid estimator uh, for federal aid. Very so, good. So there are tools. Very good. We're going to uh, we're going to spend just another few moments with Andrea and, you know, kind of packaging up the these big changes because we just don't want, I mean, you'd think with such big changes for something every student or family needs to know, you'd think it'd be all over the headlines. It's not, folks. So we want to recap some action items as well as bring in a little financial planning component too when we get back. Then next, we're going to be taking Doug's question over the airwaves here. That's a good one. You're not going to want to miss it. So that and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. I'm Mike, joined by Josh and Kevin. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. And we've got a special guest in the studio still with us for a, a few moments, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College. We're talking about the changes called the prior, prior year rule. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. And really some big changes with the FAFSA. We're going to recap that in just a moment so you don't miss anything. If you have any questions, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call 574-222-2000. So if you're just tuning in, the government has made some huge changes to the deadline and timing of FAFSA, which is something everyone needs to know. And you'd think these would, you know, these changes would be well communicated. They are not. So we're talking about it here. We've got a specialist here with us. And the truth is, a lot of colleges and institutions still are digesting how in the world they need to adapt their policies and so on. This mm-hmm. could mean some big changes coming down the pike that right now are just unclear whether the the timing of which students should be taking ACT or SAT, when college fairs are and applications need to be in. There's some big changes we just don't know yet. But let's recap, Andrea, what we do know. What are the changes that people need to be aware of? So the FAFSA opens on October 1st, and families for the 2017-2018 FAFSA will be using their 2015 tax information. So those are the two biggest changes. The state deadlines remain the same. So in Michigan, it is March 1st. In the state of Indiana, it is March 10th. And I would also recommend that families log on early to get their um, login password information set so they can use the tax data retrieval tool to complete the FAFSA. Very helpful. There's some other financial planning components. If you're looking at college planning in general, Kevin, let's talk about some of the financial planning issues that people need to know about. Well, I think of, of several issues. If you're listening to the show and you say, hey, I don't have 
a student and I'm not worried about FAFSA, what should I be thinking about? And I think, well, if you, if you don't have kids, one thing that we've seen some clients do is say, hey, listen, the Indiana 529 plan is such a sweet deal. If I put 5000 in, I get a $1,000 credit. So it's like the, it's turning 5000 into 6000 uh, just like that. So I would say if you don't have kids, if you have nieces, if you have nephews, if you have some people in your family that are going to go eventually to school, you may want to consider setting up a 529 plan. Mike, I'm going to have you in a little bit just talk about the difference between the Indiana Michigan 529 plans. If you do have kids, as Andrea said, it, get get it going. October 1st, get online, get that FAFSA form filled out and uh, get off to the races. But also make sure you have a plan and make sure that you know what the plan is, your spouse knows what the plan is, your kids know what the plan is. So they know what they're on the hook for. Are they on the hook for... 100% of their educational expenses for half of them, for none of them. What's the plan? So have a plan. Make sure you're working with your certified financial planner on that plan and adjusting it as your situation changes. And then lastly, grandparents, I'm at the risk of repeating myself, the 529 plan is awesome because the 529 plan, that money is actually out of your estate, but you control it. So it's an amazing, amazing deal. And Indiana makes it even more amazing with the credit that you can get. And I didn't mention, if, you're, if your kids are going to school right now, if they're in college, you can still cash in on the Indiana 529 plan and that credit. So make sure if you don't, if you hear the, the numbers 529 and you don't know what we're talking about, go see your advisor immediately. Yeah, and that last point that you made is so important because it gets missed all the time. People think that by the time their kids are in school, it's too late to be using a 529 plan, but not in Indiana. There are still some sweet tax benefits to just using the 529 plan that the state has made available to you. But not so in Michigan. Let me just take a moment and compare and contrast the two states and their 529 plans. So they both offer tax benefits on contributions that go in. So Kevin already explained for Indiana you make a $5,000 contribution. It's a 20% state tax credit, really up to 5,000. So if you do a thousand, it's still 20% state tax credit on your Indiana state tax return. In my opinion, that is the best incentive I've seen from any state. Mm-hmm. Michigan offers a deduction on the first, on up to 10,000 that you contribute. So that's a deduction, still helps you, not quite as good as Indiana, but it still helps. But there's a difference there when you're withdrawing money, okay? If you, if you have a student that is in school right now and you're using some of that money, in Indiana, you still get that credit on the 5000 you contribute, even if you're pulling money out. In Michigan, they net those together. So here, real quick, I faced this with a client two weeks ago. He's got one child in school, so he's drawing money out. But he's got another child who's be who will be coming to school in two years. So he's at he's taking money out to pay for oldest child, but he's saving up money throughout the year to set it aside. They are ne- so he's taking ten out, he's putting ten in. He's not getting a deduction because those two wash. So make note of that. It still it just points to me again. The Indiana plan is a great deal. So, okay, folks, we threw a lot at you with the FAFSA and financial aid and everything. I want to thank Andrea for being with us today. We're going to let her sneak out while we tackle some other questions. But thanks. Hopefully we have you back. And hopefully you listeners, you know all about these changes and are well equipped to take advantage of this. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. All right. All right, guys, we're going to be transitioning to listener questions. Now we've got some great ones. We're starting with Steve in Wakarusa. He's 49. He says, my wife and I own a rental property together, and I own a second rental property in just my name. On previous shows, thanks for listening, Steve. On previous shows, you mentioned the idea of having investment real estate be owned by an LLC. Yes, we have. Can you explain how I go about doing that? Do I need to get an attorney involved? You know, for the first 15 years of my career, I used to say very definitively. Sorry, go ahead. Continue. What You're saying stop with your hands and I'm then sorry. continue Casey, with your words? Casey is running the board and he just had, anyway, we, we had a little issue over here. A little here. distraction. Yes, keep going. No, no, hold on a second. I logged into Facebook and my wife had shared a picture of a child who is still in the sack, but outside of the mom. Oh, what? Casey. It's it, so the first thing that popped up, because obviously I love my wife and I subscribe to my wife's news feed, Mike. And it was on there. And I didn't realize that, that Mike was so weak. Sensitive. Mm. Well, he, 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 turned, <laughs> he turned green and looked like he was going to throw up. And I'm taking it personally here, like you're responding to Those big to lips of his disappeared inside of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, we're answering your question. That's right. So as I was saying, I used to say all the time that people should use an attorney to set up an LLC. But then just this past spring, uh, we had Jamie Haig on the show, and he is an attorney with Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. And he was talking about how it is possible for people to go set up an LLC on their own. And if it's a really simple LLC that's not uh, a business that's operating, selling things, it's just going to hold real estate, you could set up the LLC uh, by going to the Secretary of State website, getting logged in there. You have to set up a username and a password and everything and uh, check to make sure the name that you want is available, right? But then you establish this LLC online. There's nominal fees involved. And then you have to go through the process of actually implementing this thing and moving the properties that you own into the LLC. That, to me, is where an attorney would be kind of handy. See, I'd want the attorney to do the whole thing, too, because you will need to do those what's called a, a quit claim deed to get your properties out of your name and into your LLC. And you know, the attorney, I just would want to delegate that. Yeah, you can get a Floby and cut your own hair. But I, I, what I'm saying is, look, no, no. It looks like you did, actually. <laughs> no, no, Debbie did a, a wonderful job. But the, the thing is, when you're looking at the do-it-yourself projects, I just heard the statistic on the radio, the do-it-yourself projects from the, the big box stores, most of them that get started don't get finished. And so I look at this and I say, the risk is if you do it yourself and you don't have the confidence that someone who's been to law school and knows the ins and outs. We are, on this show, we will always be big believers in professional advice and getting help. So it is something that you could attempt on your own. I tell folks, look, uh, for what it's worth, go hire an attorney and get it done right. And really the point of having an LLC is for what those initials stand for, limited liability company. And it's all about just managing risk because since you're not on the property, or even if you were, you just... Stuff could be happening at that place where people could get injured, get hurt, and sue you, and you don't want your personal assets being wrapped into a lawsuit like that. So, okay, thanks for the question, Steve. We got we have Doug's question coming up next, and it's a doozy. So, folks, uh, you're going to want to listen to this one. That and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keen, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. My name's Mike. I've got Kevin and Josh in the studio, and we've been talking about financial aid. We had Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College with us, and we're now transitioning into listener questions. If you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Quick housekeeping. i got to brag on our team a little bit. You guys know that... Uh, the three of us, me, Josh, and Kevin, are all with Corhorn Financial Group, but we're really just representatives of uh, a bigger team of financial professionals at KFG, almost 35 employees, I think. And you also know that when it comes to getting financial advice, whether it's from us or anyone, you should be working with a certified financial planner. All of our planners at KFG are certified financial planners. It's a monster of an exam, and it takes several years to get I just want to highlight a couple members on a, uh, of our team because we got three new CFPs who passed their test a couple weeks ago. Oh, yes. And we awesome. couldn't be more proud. They are rising stars and just awesome. And so I just want to point out Amy Masters, Jared Miller, and Summer Hathaway. Congratulations, guys. We've made a big deal about it at the firm, and that is a huge step in your career. We are very proud of how you're going to be able to serve the community. Yep. So... Okay, last week's show was all about refinancing, whether you should or whether you shouldn't, because interest rates are back near record lows. And uh, we had a lot of folks listening to that show get a lot of practical help. If you missed anything, go to the website, Wise Money Radio, and you can listen to that episode right there, or go to the podcast, even subscribe to it, because there's a lot of practical application. And that's what Doug did. Doug was listening to the show last week, applied the discussion to his own situation, and called in. And for the first time on the Wise Money Show, we're actually going to be able to play his question right here. Here's Doug's question. Uh, my name is Doug, and I would like to ask a question about a... Uh, I have a house. I just purchased an equity loan. It's purchased another house, and it was for my daughter. And uh, since then, we've come across issues with her fiance that uh, he's just not working out as well as we thought they have been making payments on the house uh, we are at 2.5% interest rate now on our house we have plenty of equity the house is valued at $178,000 um, what I'm concerned and thought about was doing a refinance and whether it would make a smart move for me so we don't get into a spot where I end up creating more issue with interest rate because of the equity loan being higher in interest rate than my actual mortgage. And uh, the last time I checked at our bank, we are at 3.574 or something like that on the interest rate. And it would just the question is whether it would be make sense to go ahead and refinance, roll that equity loan in there, and get it paid off so I don't occur a higher interest rate on the equity loan. Thank you. Okay, great. So... If you're calling and and want to leave your question via voicemail, we're hoping that the technology is going to work where we can just air those on the show just like we did with Doug. So thank you. And in essence, his question is, hey, I've got my mortgage. 
I took out a home equity line to buy a house for my daughter. The home equity line's at a higher interest rate. Should I just refinance the whole thing because things aren't working out, which I appreciate that <laughs> candor, Doug. But that's, that's really his question because the home equity line is at a higher rate. So, all right, how do we answer it? You know, it, it seems like Doug is asking a, a question about a borrowing principle here, right? He, he's asking, you know, um, am I structured right in the way that this loan or, or these loans, plural, are, are set up? And, you know, I, I think one of the, uh, the principles that I would emphasize as a borrower is that you always want to make sure that your uh, debt is matching the asset, the length of term on the asset. Don't use a short-term loan to finance a long-term asset. And that's essentially what he, that's the scenario that he's in right now. He's borrowed against a home equity line, which can rise in interest rates. Those are variable rates if you don't lock it in. Yep. So that is, in essence, a short-term loan tool. It's it's meant to be, or that's how you should use it, in my opinion. Um, but currently, you know, it's financing a house, which you could own for decades, potentially. Well, the, so you got to be careful there. Yeah, except, though, the thing that would make that a, a short-term need is that, in theory, he was going to get taken out. Yeah. So that's where when you... when By taken out, meaning daughter and fiance would buy it away from him. Right. And that's where the tool of a home equity line, especially First State Bank has a home equity line that you can do interest-only payments. Yeah. So that can be an excellent tool if you know for certain that it is a short-term borrowing situation. But there's a couple other principles before we get into really answering the questions. There's a couple other principles that this kind of violates a little bit. And one of those is don't lend money to family members. And right. so that's one of them, even if it's your child. We, we of course, want to do anything we can to help our child set them up for success. But when you're lending money, it can so often move to become a gift. And if you don't also have the asset as well, it's just, it can be complicated. So as just principle, don't yeah. lend money to family. Most people are not well situated. They're not... Um, they're not well suited to be a lender themselves. You know, they don't have necessarily the same discipline and the same rigor in how they decide who to lend money to. It becomes more of an emotional decision than a true financial decision. And uh, the, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of times a a personal loan that you're making, you, you don't make sure that you have the right security in place. You know, mm -hmm. for this time that it, I'm assuming that Doug owns this house and that the plan is that he'll sell it to his his daughter. But, you know, in, in the meantime, um, it, does he have uh, the, the protections that he needs long term? In, in this case, it's an interest rate concern that we're most uh, most focused on. Yeah. And the, the last principle is be wary, be careful. And I would even just say don't link finances together with a in a relationship with someone before you're permanently linked in a marriage. That's right. So yeah. as far as buying a house together with a fiance, that can be really tricky business. We would just say out of principle, I wouldn't do that. Okay, so what does he do? His interest rate on his house, he said he's got plenty of equity. His interest rate on his mortgage is low. His home equity line rate is higher and because things aren't working out, he just looks at that as I'm going to really assume this loan anyway, should I just refinance? Well, Doug, you have a bunch of options. One option would be you can refinance your house and use the money to pay off your home equity line. And so in essence, you have one mortgage that covers two houses. And that interest rate won't be quite as low as what he's got right now, 
probably, but it should be really close. Yeah, didn't he say he's at two and a half percent? Two and a half, and a 15-year rate right now is around 2.75 from what I saw. You'd have to pay a point or extra closing costs to get it down a little bit lower. So it'd be close. He would need to know in doing that, you'd be increasing your interest rate on your primary mortgage. I don't really like that idea. Right. So you have to look and know for sure if I do a cash-out refinance, am I going to pay a higher rate than if I was just buying a house and doing it? Great point, yep. The second issue is with, Doug, you own the house because you paid for it with your home equity line. It might take you, if you wanted to get a mortgage on that house yourself, if you were just going to do that, it, you might have to wait a six-month period or even longer to back money out of that house. And so I would check into what the rules and regulations are if you wanted to do that. But for sure, I would make sure, Doug, that you own the house and you haven't created any incentive for the fiance to stay connected to the daughter because of a sweet housing uh, arrangement or something like that. What we've seen is as soon as the parents get involved with the financial situation of the children, the the suitors look different. The, the, fi- the fiance looks different to you, Doug, than before you lent the money. And so that's why we try to say, hey, keep, keep uh, family and relationships and money as separated as you possibly can. I, I think daughter should buy the house out from dad. Right. I, I, I think that's the clear choice. Before you go and refinance and increase the rate on your primary mortgage, I'd have your daughter. If this is a house that your daughter could be in and wants to be in, forget about fiance. If it's for her, have her buy the house outright. That would be option number one. Yeah. If she can afford to buy it on her own, uh, she needs to do that. If she can't afford to buy it on her own, then maybe we're in a kind of a sticky situation here that you need to try to get out of quickly. And she needs to be able to to stand on her own two feet in case things don't work out with the, the potential marriage here. Exactly. So have daughter buy it outright. If that's not going to happen, consider selling the house. And number three, if you are thinking about refinance, talk to your bank to make sure you know what interest rate you'd get by putting those two together. Because if it would be considered a cash out refinance, that interest rate could be a lot higher and could change the entire deal. So, hey, I want to thank uh, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College for being on the program today. That was helpful information. If you missed anything about the changes with FAFSA, go to wisemoneyradio.com or check out the podcast. On behalf of Andrea, as well as Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, the rest of us at KFG, have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you next week here for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on 95.3 MNC. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated. 